We're Not Dead, a podcast about a story of survival. Bang, 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 bang. Welcome to episode 64 of We're Not Dead, the official community podcast of We're Alive. I am your host this week, Nick Voodoo, because butt sex McBusy McBusy Busy Busy Buddy McBusy Pants can't be here. Um, and I'm going to be joined today by forum member Todd is dead. Welcome, Todd. Caw. Caw. <laughs> um, that's very, very, very appropriate. Um, yes, sir. So, uh... This this is a this this is take two uh, of our opening, <laughs> yeah. so that's why call is so funny, and you'll find out why later. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> something about a record button. I don't fucking know what's going on anymore. It's so late. Who gives a crap? Yeah. So take two. Yep. Um, so, like I said, uh, Brit is not here. We do apologize. Uh, our schedule has been crazy, and we cannot uh, seem to ever coordinate a time to record. Um, so we sort of just punted on this entire chapter and we're going to do the whole thing now. Um, but first we got to talk to Todd. Todd, uh, when did you start listening to We're Alive? Uh, let's see. I came into it probably, I came into it the end of the first season going into the second. So I probably hit it at the first hiatus. Okay. Um, Yeah. So you caught the war. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I caught the second half of the war. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, and now I just totally lost it. Oh yeah. Ah, uh, it's like what comes after that question? <laughs> Who is your favorite character? Uh, most everyone says uh, Bert. Mm-hmm. So that I mean that's the popular answer. That's what would be my typical answer. Okay. But just to be different, I'm going with Tardust because Ooh. yeah yeah because of I think he's the most realistic character okay. in the story, like as far as his good traits and his bad and how he reacts to the situations they're in. I just, I like the uh, overall uh, realism of him as a character. The, the well-rounded nature, the yin and the yang of good and bad. Yeah, yeah. Which... yeah everyone certainly knows his bad. That's pretty <laughs> yeah. obvious. yeah. Definitely so, not my favorite for that part, but... Yeah, something about rape doesn't seem to ingratiate you to too many people. I'm not sure why. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm exactly sure why. Yeah. Um, all right, yeah. so Tardust's favorite. Who is your least favorite? Well, I'm just going to have to go with Todd as far as the least favorite. Todd, all right. Yeah. So, again... Those who don't remember, Todd, Lizzie's boyfriend from season one, uh, who lasts all of one screaming uh, episode and then dies. Yes. Quickly. Yes. And again, um, we have brought this up on the podcast before when we have been speaking of you and your posts. Uh, Your form name is Todd is Dead. Right. But that is not in relation to the show. Not at all. What is it in relation to, if you don't mind my asking? It is in relation to, at one point, oh shit, it was probably 2003, so long before this show ever came along. 
Mm-hmm. I think uh, Casey and I were probably both watching Lost at the same time and cursing at the television. Uh, <laughs> uh, I did a drawing, a uh, pen and ink drawing, which you can find on the forum down in the art section. Um, right. Basically, in one of the scenes is a tombstone. And the tombstone says, Todd is dead. And since then, I've basically established that as my moniker in most all social projects, I guess. Yeah. And it was just one of those things that um, uh, I don't remember when about you ended up joining the forum, but, uh, you know, I joined when the forum relaunched right around uh, the middle-ish end of season two. And I was like, oh, there's this guy called Todd is Dead. That's so cool. Hey, that's so cool. Todd is Dead. Yeah, that's actually not what my name means. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm so confused. Yeah, um, yeah. But cool. Well, thank you for coming on. Yep. Um, and we are going to do a massive recap of all of Chapter 40, which was called Monsters. And wow. <laughs> we'll, yeah, we'll get was... to the super wow. Yeah, this was a monster of a chapter. Ah, I see what you did there. Um just god damn it casey uh all right so let's just start with um with uh 40 part one right um and and we're gonna just sort of just piecemeal it together we're not doing the full recaps like uh we haven't been doing this entire season anyway yeah Um, i gotta say i like that because oh god i like it too yeah it's so much I feel like it's so much cleaner here. It is. It really uh, is. It just sort of keeps everything going. You hit the higher points and you don't get yeah, mired I mean, in the minutiae. No, I mean, people don't... Honestly, people probably don't listen to this show to hear the recap. They listen to hear no, op- opinions. I, I, I would certainly hope you don't hear the, want to hear the recap. Because yeah. uh, it was it was long. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, so let's just start off and get this right done, right off the bat. Ink is Ink, and he is not a father-son tandem. Right. And I'm just so happy about that, because that, that started to lose... That that started to get a little out of control on the forum. Oh, yeah. it's definitely got to be father-son. It's got to be father-son. Yeah. Man. It's like, you know what? Casey has been telling us for, what, probably two years now. You don't know. You don't know. They're being described in this way, so you don't know mm-hmm. whether it's one person or multiples or, right. you know, however... Yeah, never listen to Casey when he's on the forum. <laughs> never. You can listen to Casey when he's on the forum, but you have to understand that he's also playing the game too. Exactly. He's playing the game with all of us, and there's a reason why the characters never describe the same character twice in the same way, and that's why he's trying to hide it in plain sight because he can, because you can't see it. Yeah. Um, Let me rephrase theory. that. Never listen to Casey on the forum when he's talking about the show. <laughs> yes. Otherwise, when he's talking about like video games or like podcast awards, yeah, totally listen to Casey. But oh, yeah, yeah. When he's when he's doing that sort of troll face, <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you may take more with a grain of salt. Yeah. Maybe a better plan. All right. Um, so, 
the other thing uh, about the beginning of this chapter with the conversation with Michael and Kelly, uh, the the cast of the show has finally caught up to where the rest of us have been for such a long time, and they finally know that Ink is that dude from the courthouse. Mm-hmm. Thank God. That's done. We just put a fork in that one and bury it. Um, so, yeah. Um, they do have a conversation about um, uh, the the tattoos and how they came to be, mm-hmm. uh, which was a jailhouse tattoo thing, which, um, also sort of, uh, you know, I don't think that, um, that really, I think that we all sort of assume that he had done that himself or he had it professionally done, not do with a shit ton of ballpoint pens. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Some of us back when, what was it? Devil's workshop. Correct. Yes. Yeah. With the scene in the basement mm-hmm. of the hospital. Uh, yeah, that was very reminiscent of jail tats. And right. I don't know, some of the early chapter artwork, or the chapter artwork for the 31st, correct? Yeah, yeah. the, the yep, one where you see his hand. Yeah, and then, of course, the face picture. Um, mm. It They look like jail tats to me. I mean, really? Um, well, yeah, yeah, I guess. I think that well, maybe it was more of like my mental image. I just pictured them being a little bit cleaner. Um, yeah, no, but I, you know, but it yeah. still it seems like you know not something that it was like. Hey, can you cover my hands and face and body with tattoos? Yeah. Oh, yeah. cellmate of mine. Seems oh like no, you no, 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 no. Got a cellmate. He got it done for you. Yeah, yeah, and not body, hands and face. Yep, just hands and face. Hands and face. Um, So, yep, we figured that part out. And then they start talking about, you know, how they got it in there, investigations, whatever. Uh Uh, But there is no real photo of the the tattooed version of him, except for what uh, CJ was able to capture on her closed-circuit TV. Correct. And what we discover at the end of the next chapter part. Yep. Um, So there's that. Um. So, yeah, they all pack up and get uh, ready to go off to the courthouse with Kelly and Toe because Kelly's the only one that's going to know where to find stuff. And uh, she wants to help and doesn't want to sit there and compile information anymore. I I get the distinctest of impressions from her. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's got to be such a thankless job here. Take all my journal entries and go find something out of it. Have fun. Yeah, can't say as a blamer. Truthfully. Yeah. Well, she also volunteered for it, so it's kind of her fault. Um, So, yeah. yeah. Um, Before we leave for the courthouse, though, um, we get a little more glimpse into what Victor may have done uh, to to screw up. And it obviously involves uh, nearly killing someone or getting someone killed uh, through probably just lack of knowledge for his tactical abilities. Yeah. Um, Which I still think... And Michael's kind of a hypocrite about it because, uh, you know, Michael says, oh, well, you know, people make mistakes. Like Mike, uh, Puck in the alleyway. He leaves Puck in the alleyway to be attacked by zombies going to chase after Randy. How could that be any worse <laughs> than, than, anything? Whatever, than whatever Victor may have done? Yeah, than anything Victor did. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> there, I mean, the end result is the same. They're all still alive. Yeah, yeah. But I think uh, it's hard to speculate on it, not knowing exactly what happened. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, maybe this is a complete royal screw-up and I'm not understanding the situation. Because Victor certainly seems to understand. Oh, yeah, I know I screwed up. I'm really sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, something I brought up on, I don't remember, I think it was part 40, part 3. Uh, and we didn't talk about it in take one, but I'll bring it up here. Is you clap? <laughs> yeah. Uh, later on, we we have this initial conversation between those two about the screw up, mm-hmm. uh, and then later on we get the conversation between Michael and Vic about the screw up. Uh, when Michael first arrives at the mortuary, mm-hmm. it, he says, uh, "Actually, Victor starts the conversation with." You came straight here? And Michael says, yeah, we weren't followed. Basically, from that, I kind of inferred... Uh, yeah, yeah, there kind, you of, go. kind of inferred that might have been what happened with Victor's follow-up, you know. Uh, hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I like it. Yep. Except the part where, if they're out in a group, why would Victor be in a position to have anyone under his command? And him coming straight back. Unless... In that regard, the only thing would be that Victor may have gone out for something, came back, and then put people in danger in a safe house because he's the one that led them back to a safe house. True, true. So exactly. it's not like so much that he has a command of it, it's that he was the underling, went out, screwed up, and almost got people killed. Okay, so I buy that. Yeah, yeah. And so... that's something that, you know, you connect the dots between your... Two chapter parts and yeah. Days are here and at this point, that's really all we can do. So yeah. All right. So um, now, obviously, we have a nice full chapter behind us uh, in in front of. Uh, but there was a little bit of speculation over uh, Robin's being splashed by that acid and um, what potentially may happen to him. Uh, and Muldoon comes out uh, from his nap and says, oh, "Robin's is dead." <laughs> what? He asphyxiated on his fat. Shut up. I was Muldoon's such a douche. Uh, but he's oh, the, what a douche. He's the greatest douche ever. Oh, I know. He's so great. <laughs> I love that sort of deadpan humor. I do yeah. like Stephen Wright, Mitch Head. I love oh, the yeah. deadpan humor. Absolutely. And, and Muldoon excels at it. Yes, he does. And it's always at Robin's. Uh, uh, benefit, if you yeah. Will. The kings of comedy doing mm. quite well, yes, indeed. yet again. Um, so we transition on, um, to uh, some thunderclaps, um, which makes me wonder what's going to line up with uh, how this lines up with part three, where that storm comes. Um, uh, I, I have no idea. The last time I think that we all tried to match a weather pattern in the production to something else. I think we got so far off the rails that Casey told us to just stop because we were so far off it hurt. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think that was in relation to um, uh, the Dunbar Tower convoy that got wrecked by the Smart Ones and Inc. Yeah. Um, well, we were really young back then. Yeah. We, we were like children. That's true. We, we had le- yet to learn how to run and we were already trying to <laughs> to jump and frolic yeah. and whatever um yeah but, you know the, the storm is obviously a very big part of uh, part three um 
and uh yeah so um we eventually get to the courthouse we find the spot where uh ink has been turned and you know it's pretty uh, part one you know we we went smoother through this take of uh, part one just so you know <laughs> yes sir. Um, and because hopefully this one is the one that's going to make the show uh man part one was a lot of setup a whole lot of setup and it was not a lot of uh not a whole lot of actiony stuff with uh, the exception of what happens at ground zero yeah. um with uh tanya and victor um you know they get there and uh i <laughs> I, I love that the reason that they they have all the Scooby gear on is because they can't breathe the haze and the haze and the haze. Everything's all about the haze. We're going to get the sample of the haze. We're going to go watch the haze and see what it does and see if it'll, like, you know, form little cloud animals or whatever. And and there's no haze and they can't figure out that that's what's missing. Yeah. I, that was just strange to me that it took them that long to. It's like, oh, the haze is not here. Um, so it's like, oh, well, we can't do anything. And. Oh, if the haze is gone, that means that the zombies aren't here, and the bodies are gone. That means the zombies have been here. We gotta go, yeah. and then we meet. Uh, I think for his first official appearance, Lucky Number Seven. I believe. So. Uh, I don't think Seven has ever had a solo appearance, aside from you know maybe some part of some other attack that he didn't get pointed out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Seven gets his first uh, FaceTime. Yep, uh, and he kills a regular. And then get shot at by Tanya, who doesn't know not to pull the trigger on a little one. Mm. <sighs> That's what happens when you give a doctor a gun. I guess so. She's yeah. not a doctor. She's a vet. Okay. Stupid vet. Okay, she's a vet playing doctor in a mortuary. And so... then she goes out and plays soldier and almost gets killed. Yeah. Mm. Can't necessarily blame her. Yeah, no, I get it. Uh, something she did point out, though. I think is sort of interesting is um, the antibiotics that she gave, I think both herself and Saul, or definitely Saul, but maybe not herself, I don't know, I, for the life of me, can't remember right now. Yeah. Uh, those are gone, so she can't even sort of test. Um, yeah, that's really that, interesting. That uh, cocktail. Yeah, you would figure, just knowing that that's a possibility, uh, or that you know it feasibly saves Saul's life, she probably would have looked for more. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that part I find all too convenient. That oh, they're gone. Yeah, I I mean obviously like one of the hotspots is Kane Hospital, which you know in theory you could probably find that stuff, but uh, you know they've been there. We find out, and I guess they didn't look, or they didn't know what to look for, or it was all mm-hmm. gone. So I don't know. I it seems it does seem very strange that they don't have it, but yeah. Ah, uh, maybe that means that they just don't need it. They just need Tanya and Saul blood, and you know that's pretty much that. Uh, I could go into something on that. All I'm, all I'll say is, if you haven't seen it, watch a movie called The Vanguard. Uh, it's a zombie film, uh, and it does kind of go in that direction. It's very artsy. Some people would find it a little boring. Mm-hmm. But I could see it being some influence in that line of thinking. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so again, that's 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 pretty much part one. Not not a whole lot of stuff except for the stuff with the gunshot and whatnot, yeah. Yeah. and uh, the cool ending of oh, we finally found where 
Inquis turn and blah, da, 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 da. I'd like to just make everyone aware at this point that due to a technical glitch, that's of course Nick's fault, right? I mean, it's always his fault. Uh, he's going to be talking by himself for the next 15 minutes during most of section two. Um, and I just wanted to make you guys aware of that. Not that it's anything that you're not used to, just hearing his voice jabber on, but just wanted to put it out there. Carry on. All right, so let's move back now to sort of what happens in uh, part two. Um, so what was the colony? I had said in a previous episode, and if I didn't say it, I meant to have said it, uh, too much expansion, not nearly enough resources to um, support it, which to me is surprising because CJ is a great planner, but the crappy executor. So this seems like a crappy plan and crappy execution. I think in theory the plan's kind of okay, but it's like that you're expanding well beyond what your means were. Um, so we have that five-minute sob fest um, at the beginning of part two with her and Pegs. And Pegs just needs to not name animals. Like, ever again. That just needs to not happen. Mr. Moo Earns? Come on. So yeah, we uh, CJ also brings up the very good point of um, zombie dead body runoff, which... I feel like I had in the back of my mind, oh yeah, they obviously can't drink any of the water because it's got zombie runoff in it. No, you know what? I, I can't even really say for I can't even say positively. Oh yeah, I totally thought of that. I feel like it's something that is just assumed like, oh, all water, dirty, bad. No, CJ really put it put the nail on. It's like, not everyone thinks of it. Like to the point she doesn't even want to use it for the crops. It's like, yeah, that's a pretty good point too. Uh, Big picture versus little picture. CJ's overreaching view of and being able to see how much time they have left versus Michael's minutia. Um, for lack of a better way to ask the question, who is more who's more right? Do you think that CJ knowing how much time they have left before they run out of resources, or is Michael's quest more important? Which do you think should be more important versus what we're being led to believe by Casey? Uh, yes, I want Michael's minutia look at, you know, ink and what's going on. But, you know, at the same time, we also had to skip, we skipped over four months of unsuccessful searching too. So you, I can understand where CJ's coming from is you're wasting so much resources and you're making it so we can't do things that we need to do because you have a gun truck and you have all the soldiers and X, Y, and Z. And, uh, you know, I, I was not quick to jump on the CJ's, you know, a bitch bandwagon, but Man, she's done a pretty decent job of keeping everyone alive and keeping everyone well-fed, sort of, I guess. Uh, it's coming, obviously, at the price that she's talking about, but um, it, it's it's hard for me to say, you know, one of them's right, one of them's wrong. It's like, CJ has a really, really good point uh, about Michael's activities, and Michael has a really, really good point about his activities, too. So so now that we get out of our um, five-minute sob fest with uh, Pegs and... Um, and uh cj we go back to ground zero um with a very cool transition that i enjoyed greatly um i love the slow burn transitions they make me happy um so we discover now that the haze is released by what i'm calling seismic activity but what other people think may be controlled explosions we'll get to that uh in just a second um so they get up victor and um Tanya barricade themselves in somewhere to try and protect themselves from lucky number seven. Um, and then we hear 
dishes rattling and eventually the haze starts to come back. Um, so we already mildly mentioned the haze, so we don't necessarily rehash that. But do you think that that was an explosion or was that an earthquake? The only reason I say seismic activity, one, is because of the obviously the cracks in the ground um it is possible for aftershocks and seismic activity to not necessarily be felt uh, seven or eight miles away although with the violence that i guess it was being shaken because you can hear like plates and dishes rattling uh there so obviously something's done moving the ground and something's done moving the ground a lot i i have a hard time trying to figure out what man-made object buried underground would be able to do that other than like you know like okay yeah sure a subway can do it but you know there's also other very telltale signs that aren't deep low grumbling sounds that to indicate you know the subway it it even has like a rhythm to it as the as uh, the wheels of a train cross over a uh, break in the tracks you know, you hear it, and like you can count it. You know exactly when the train is going to end just by counting the wheel clicks. Um, this seemed like it was, to me at least, a more natural phenomenon. Um, so we have another close encounter with Lucky Number Seven after Tanya gets her gear wrapped up in herself um, and has to cut out a chunk of her hair. Um, Lucky Number Seven now apparently is going to have a road rash in the uh, next appearance or two that he has before he either. Uh, eats it or eats everyone else. Um, I I thought that that had been disproven over and over again. That I I didn't think that if you shot an air tank, that it explosively did that. I thought it just sort of went unless you because they all have I don't know maybe it's because I thought they all had like safety or whatever. Like if the it decompressed rapidly, that there was supposed to be another valve that exploded out to to prevent that. But I thought, I thought that was a little bit of movie making magic myself. God, what was it? I'm Mythbusters trying to turn a, uh, like a air tank. I know it wasn't an air tank. It was, you know, whatever tank for like welding or whatever. And they had to like completely cut off the valve so that it wouldn't have a safety catch on it to prevent it doing from what it did. So I, I thought that that was maybe a little creative license. Because I, th I thought that had been disproven, but either way, it was still fun to picture. I cannot tell you how enjoyable it was in my mind's eye to watch a little one bouncing around a street while str accidentally strapped into an air tank and then just having its face, like, dashed open. I thought it was funny. Um, we also discovered Tanya is capable of breathing at ground zero shortly after once the haze comes back, um, which Victor cannot do. Um... Um. Uh, yeah, and that's pretty much that. They get in the car after Lucky Number Seven gets back to its feet and is not dead, and discover that no one else felt what they felt, and they weren't supposed to be there. Kind of like that movie, Clerks. There we go. That took too long for me to get there. You know what the tragedy is? I'm not even supposed to be here today. If any of you are too young to understand that reference, go rent that movie at the Blockbuster Video that doesn't exist anymore. Oh, look, my age is showing. Um, so we go after that very quickly, very, very quickly, to uh, the courthouse and find, uh, one, that um, that Kelly was a probate lawyer. Happy days, we finally figured out what she was. She wasn't like a, 
attorney that tried murders or anything. She's, you know, a procedural attorney. That makes her even more of a weasel, kind of. Um, so that's her deal. Now, something I've brought up before, uh, I'm going to bring it back up again, uh, is the unreliable narrator. Because these are every all the journal entries are being transcribed. And we get a shining, shining example of it right now with Michael and Kelly. Uh, which is now created, by the way, uh, the Michael and Kelly shippers. Uh, if you're a Harry Potter fan, you know what shipping means. If you're not a Harry Potter fan, it means that people want them to get in each other's pants. Um, and they think that this is some grand indication that they're going to be totally together by the end of this. And, you know, pegs be damned. It's like, eh, no, no. Michael knows his audience and Michael's having fun with her about it. But you do have to understand it's an unreliable narrator. And that Michael isn't always necessarily telling the truth air quotes when he's speaking to you because it may be going through a third party um i didn't actually consider the fact that it may be kelly actually transcribing it until people were like no it sounded a lot angrier because i always thought oh no this is michael typing his um his own journal entry um okay so we did skip over something from part one which is they discover the van where uh ink was transported in and this is uh, this is where they got him. This is where he turned. Because um, that's going to come back in just a second. Because, again, kind of did my listening out of order. So one happened sort of weirdly in my head. Um, we now start going through the courthouse and trying to find all the sort of stuff that we're looking for in terms of ink. Um, Kelly finds it. And we also find a whole bunch of other paperwork, which seems like it's going to be not important, but that's going to become important a little later on. Um, yeah. Did you uh, did you take anything away from the search of the courthouse, or yeah. was that just pretty much straightforward to you? It was pretty much straightforward. Um, I think we did learn some information, but not a uh, not a whole lot, really. Uh, not in in that scene, at least. Um. We, we, I kind of felt like I want more things to happen in these sorts of instances. I don't even know what I want to have happen. Um, because it, you're searching old abandoned buildings. There's so much potential for scary shit to happen. And we never get it. Um, and I think, uh, who was it? Um, even, uh, Grognard from the, uh, forum was saying, you know, where are all the bodies? Because there should be dead bodies in there. And it's like, yeah, but they did steal all of them. Even like if they found like one dead body laying around and be like, <gasps> and then they've calmed down. Oh, it's a dead body. It's okay. Uh, it's just the, the desolation just seems so strange to me. And I'm not sure why, because I know it's been, excuse me, well written into the story. Why things are that way. I, I want something to happen when they're going through all these old abandoned buildings. So, boo on that. Um, so, the zombies, we discover, actually, I think, in those scenes are when um, Puck is trying to get the security footage up that uh, the zombies aren't in Kane. So, they've already been there. Um, where else do you think the zombies may have gone if they're still in their big group? And I understand this is pure speculation because we've kind of covered all the places we think they might go. Yeah, and that's the other thing is, considering it's been four months a worth of you know, Michael, and, uh, Michael and his guys out roaming around looking for them, if they're not finding you know much of anything, I've got to go with, again, Grognard. Um, 
uh, he and I are both big advocates of the ant theory. Mm-hmm. Um, underground, really. Hiding, basically. So basically, you, hit hit the subway system and hang out. Yeah, I mean, really, what other explanation is there? Uh, I would hope that they would have already looked everywhere they could have, you know. So, I don't know. Uh, it's something else that just uh, tickled my noodle uh, thinking about it was we're talking about familiar places that Ink has gone. So, you know, he has now gone to K Mental Hospital and where he, in theory, has created uh, behemoths and little ones and uh, tattooed them and things of that nature. Um, uh, what, if any, significance can you think of a dude that's got a couple PhDs from MIT and all this other stuff with an arena? Because, in theory, that was him there. Yeah. Um, you, you know, do you have any idea of maybe why that would be? And I'm understanding putting you on the spot with that because I don't have a good answer to it myself. <laughs> Best answer is most likely, uh, he was a hockey fan. There we go. Or, um, the arena was actually one of the first things that brought about the ant theory for me. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, if you think of the way the arena is shaped with its outer structure, inner core um and the description of it uh it's essentially like an ant colony as far as the layout inside the way they used uh their bodies and food essentially Mm -hmm. as walls um and even the way they organize their trash or not food bodies outside it's all really it's really the way a common anthill is set up basically right so yeah I, but as far as why he went there um yeah hockey fan datu was a hockey fan so yeah, that's true why can a you know mad genius not be one hmm geniuses don't tend to like sports <sighs> this is by the way the most broad stroke brush i think i've taken on the show ever <laughs> um yeah I, I don't know i grew up playing hockey and yeah, I, yeah. I love me some hockey, so I guess if I were to ever turn, I, I would love to go to a hockey rink and, you know, do the uh, Day of the Dead thing in the mall. I just walk around on the ice and keep falling <laughs> as a zombie just because I can't get back up on my feet. Yeah. Um, so, Puck gets everything up and running again, and we see probably, I think, maybe the single most creepy thing in the entire show, air quotes, see, and, you know, we listen to Ink turn into right. a zombie, uh, which now disproves uh, the patient zero thing, because you can't be patient zero if someone turns you. And it's seemingly pretty obvious, I would th- say, now that uh, Ink is not the cause of all of this. It has to be very clearly stated. He has basically nothing to do with the outbreak whatsoever, unless he sets something in motion. Yeah, that's way the... That's the direction I would go, is probably not the absolute cause, like he went around and bit someone and... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily... You can't rule out the fact that he didn't set something in motion. Um, eh, I suppose you're right. That's uh, true. I just, you're right, you're right, you're right. You I, just don't, I don't close doors. 
I try not to as well, but well, that I'm... way, if, let's put it this way. If I close a door and I do it so emphatically that I'm proven wrong, do you have any idea how happy it makes people? So I'm going to emphatically say that ink has um, nothing, 0% to do with um, the outbreak of the zombie apocalypse. Uh, that way, when I'm wrong, everyone that listens can laugh at me and you'll all have fun with it. Um, yeah. No, but I really um, liked... I, I very much enjoyed that scene of having whatever two or three biters attacking him through there. Uh, did you get the impression that he was bit, or did you get the impression he was scratched? I would get the impression that he was scratched. Um, That's what I got too, but a lot of people the, are saying bit. Well, the thing is, have you ever seen a uh, transport van for any the, kind of jail? Um, I am going to plead the fifth. Well, I'm I'm just <laughs> No, I, I know what you're talking about, I've seen them. Yeah, yeah. If he really wanted to get away from three biters at a window, it's pretty easy to do. Mm-hmm. I don't I, yeah, yeah. That's what makes me wonder about the biting or the scratching. Um Yeah. I mean the thing would be if, you know, maybe if he's not all put together and he legitimately was paranoid schizophrenic, although, you know, you obviously you hear Kelly say, no, this bastard knew what he was doing. He enjoyed everything they did or whatever she mm-hmm. said. Um, if he's paranoid schizophrenic, that is not to say that he didn't have some uh, disassociated moment of reality where he's like, oh, it's my fan base. They're coming to see me. Yay. Let me go shake her hand. Oh, that hurt. Um, and then he gets turned from it, but I, the idea of him kicking open, like just the visual of him being attacked, they stop, they turn away, and then whatever, half hour later, he kicks open the doors and just walks away. Like nothing happened. Yeah. This is just an everyday occurrence and away he goes. Uh, that to me was probably one of the coolest mental pictures I've received in this entire show. Oh yeah, for sure. I enjoyed that greatly. Uh, that's what I was gonna. Yeah, that's the only thing I would say about that situation, that whole scene and situation is, uh, pretty much as soon as he stepped out of the van, um, he was basically the alpha above the yeah. you know two or two or three uh, zombies left standing there. But yeah, how how does get that out of happen? His way. Yeah, how does that happen? Yeah, he basically emerges and boom, I'm the boss. Perhaps it was the suit. You're going to like the way you look, I guarantee it. Um, (laughs) Hey, he hadn't been kicked out yet. He was still the head of uh, Men's Warehouse back in 2009. (laughs) Um, I mean, I would guess maybe the confidence that he exudes, um, the power, maybe they can just simply sense it. That, oh, this guy's really still well put together. He's got some swagger. Yeah, he, he definitely has the swagger. The tattoos are, you know... Maybe maybe they like a good ink job. I, I have no idea. I don't know what would make them treat him immediately as an alpha other than the fact that he is one. He just exudes. I mean, if, if you've ever been in the presence of someone that you know is just exponentially smarter than you are, you sort of get the, you get the feeling that maybe these zombies have when they're around ink is that you just know you can't match up. And everything they say, you're just like, wow. I had never even thought of it that way before. I'd imagine, like, if 
the Dalai Lama ever became a zombie, everyone would just follow the Dalai Lama zombie because he's just so enlightened, so smart. And if you don't agree, then, you know, pick your own figurehead. But, you know, whatever. Like, I just can't even imagine that person who was that smart and that uh, put together becoming a monster. It would be just really bizarre. Um, anything else about part two that you want to bring up? Mm, not, that we may have missed. Not off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, right. I think most of it can wait till we get the whole chapter out there. Yeah. Now there's, there's this um thing that may have happened in part three of Monsters. Oh yeah. What would that be? Um, the Mata gun gets put into to full use oh. for the first time ever in history. It is an amazing thing. Wow. And nothing else. That's really all we have to cover. So um, thank oh. you very much for listening, and we're out. Um, no, so uh, the Mata gun does get put into use, but it gets put into use in replacement of uh, a gun truck, which is supposed to be required by everyone. Um, and to me, that's CJ starting to make even cloudier decisions. Uh, now this is getting you into even worse uh planning versus execution she's always been bad at the execution now she's getting worse at the planning and that's a bad thing um so we go from you have to have a gun truck always to oh your makeshift weapon are you kind of okay with it oh you are great go have fun yeah but again uh datu and glenn uh this was brought up on in the forum in the Mm -hmm. uh chapter discussion the 50 page epic yeah 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 somewhere in the middle of the 50 page epic uh you know there are two adult men who have Mm -hmm. who are essentially the two smartest brightest minds in the colony um if they say that they are confident in going out while she might be the boss uh is it really does she really need to question them and treat them like children and coddle them you know if they're comfortable doing it, I don't, personally, I don't see the issue. And I don't see why it would be bad judgment on her part because of it. The only thing that I would say against that is you said it in the beginning is that these are the two, two of the smartest and brightest people that the colony have. And if people, according to CJ, are your finest and greatest assets, and that's what she keeps going back to is, oh, it would be such a waste if these people left. It would be such a waste if people leave us having Datu and Glenn unprotected in the traditional sense of a gun truck, to me, I feel is just really, really bad planning. And it's, it's a really, well, first of all, I, I'm obviously sitting here with the benefit of hindsight. They got squashed immediately, uh, upon their arrival, pretty much, uh, with me taking a little bit of a hyperbole, there um yeah because that that sentence even made sense i took a hyperbole there um i'll cover it up later um (laughs) but i I feel like that was such a piss poor decision to let them go out without escorts and with the i'm pretty sure that correct me if i'm wrong the guy that went with them Mm -hmm. that's the guy that got the truck stuck in the flower bed correct oh absolutely Okay, good. Because yeah. I kept thinking he's Robbins. I was like, it can't be Robbins. He's out with Michael. No, that's the only uh, reason why I was like, oh, I know that's who that guy is. Yeah, that's good old uh, screw up Jay. Yeah. Oh, that's the name. Yep. I kept wanting to say Jonathan. I was like, that's not his name, though. Yep. Jay. Um, yeah. 
you send a screw up out with a gun that he can barely handle, apparently, because it's too heavy. Mm-hmm. And whatever the hell he said, the the big heavy matic or whatever he said or called it or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's not that's not good to me. Um, but that, you know, whatever that's me. Um, and I don't think there's really anything else from that beginning other than. Uh, they're confident they can get done. They want to get it done before the weather really hits. And, you know, here here's your takeaway from it. If something seems to be going wrong, get out of there as fast as you can and we'll uh, tackle it another day, which we'll get to again. Um, uh, so now we're going back to Tanya and Victor in the mortuary or morgue or mortuary. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. The place where dead people are supposed to go. Um, and we learn that the haze has a color to it, which I thought was kind of interesting because, you know, I think a haze, I think basically I'm thinking of steam, but yeah. apparently it's colored. So that's yeah. interesting. I want to know more about that. That's for certain. And yeah. it smells. But yeah, uh, did they, what did they describe the smell as? I'm trying to. I don't think they, I don't think they have described the smell. Yeah. I think they always just describe it as you know they're they feel like they're choking on it, and they can see it, but they don't ever really describe it in detail. So hopefully that's coming down the pike because I would like to know more about that because that may help us refocus everyone's searches because everyone everyone um you know again www.zombiepodcast.com slash forum everyone on there great crack research team. Um, we're grasping at straws as to what the haze might be, really. Um, more information would be greatly appreciated right now. And hopefully we're going to get it very shortly. <laughs> um, so Kelly, again, we, I mentioned this before, Kelly saying that, um, uh, Ink did horrible things to, uh, his wife's, uh, uh, Bo and his family and whatnot. I want to know what he did to them. I really do. Uh, I I don't know why I want to know, but I kind of want to know. It's you know you want you want to see the car accident. Yeah, I think that would give us some indication as to what kind of person he was prior to, basically. Yeah. Because obviously we know from his. Uh, background he would probably do some pretty interesting things (laughs) yeah definitely uh do you think that and again there's no solid evidence this was the case it's just it's a zombie story and he's the bad guy so you gotta wonder cannibalism involved do you think he ate any part of them or do you think he just did horrible things to them i wouldn't say so but i yeah, I, I don't know. I, I highly doubt it. Um, I I would agree with you. I I think that it was just probably heinous in nature. Right. Just, the only thing I could think of is something like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and he ripped the adrenal gland out of them or something like mm-hmm. that. You know, cut the thyroid out of their neck. If you wanted to go that route. Yeah, and, and that stuff I can, for some reason, I can definitely see him doing. Right. Uh, that's that's probably well within the realm of <laughs> something that he picked up in one of his classes at MIT. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, who knows? Um, all right, so we get one of our newest and greatest 
mysteries. Austin McKibben. Victor finds it in the pile. I got nothing. Um, the only thing that I can think maybe Austin might be, uh, and my best guess, might be Bricks. That's really all I got. The only thing I have to wonder is, okay, all of the Maulers, because there was a lot of attempts to connect people in that regard, like mm-hmm. connect Bricks or Tardust or, you know, these, these characters from the uh, Mauler camp that we don't really have the true name of. Yeah. Um, the only issue with that is if there, if he was at the courthouse on the day of the outbreak, how would Scratch have busted them out of Eastern Bay? Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Touche. That's my uh, only issue with connecting Maulers to Austin McKibben. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that too. That's yeah, a good point. the crackpot part of me wants to... Ooh, I love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, not tinfoil hat. There is a difference. The I'm sorry, I did call you the wrong thing. No, crackpot I, conspiracy theorist. Eh, it's quite alright. No, it's not alright. That's not cool at all. <laughs> uh... That part of me would want to connect this Austin McKibben character to some uh, global doomsday conspiracy. Because basically, okay, you have some guy from out of town in the area who was arrested, being tried for murder, at the same time that our primary guy, uh, Bill Roberts, is being tried, you know, tried for murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I would love to be able to link him to some type of doomsday cult which is you know making sure that all of this happens possibly putting the austin mckinnon character into radon labs and some facility you know in uh atlanta which that's another thing uh, i believe it was redshirt who looked up and found that there actually are fault lines in the atlanta area mm-hmm. and there's also uh, uh, the that's the location of the CDC, right? So you could take it so many ways. Yeah. Now that now that you've dissuaded me off of uh, a mauler, um, I'm trying to think of any other because at this point it's got to be someone that we already know and someone that Victor knows. So I mean, you're talking about um, you know people like Marcus or. Yeah, uh, Sean. You know, he would have known Sean very briefly, and he would have gone away. Um, yeah, but you I would, know. if anyone, I would probably. And see, I don't know that I could lean toward Marcus because if Victor's saying he looks familiar, would mm-hmm. Marcus not look a little more than familiar? Yeah, I'm sure that picture would have immediately jogged the memories. Of, oh, that's Marcus. Yeah, um, yeah. So you it, know, I, I'm trying to figure who Victor would know that he would need his memory jogged on. Well, and that's another thing is we don't know anything about Victor beyond the whole insurance salesman among other jobs. Yeah. So. And that he had a wife that turned into, you know, Gollum. <laughs> Put the ring on and. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, that. That to me is a, a very intriguing little mystery. I hope we get to the to the bottom of it. And um, I, I've, I've, I want more information. Um, so now the main event. The reason why after I, I think this may actually be the longest chapter discussion ever, even com- 
binding couple chapter parts. It may be the longest one ever. <laughs> we are at 50 pages of speculation and discussion about what happened at the tail end of 40 part three. And that is the sad and partially loathsome, depending on your opinion, uh, death of apparently King Datu the Resourceful. Part of me is very sad because one, King Doctor the Resourceful was that the stupid little moniker I invented one day when he was repairing the helicopter back in season two. I was like, oh, he just had some freaking gum and he fixed it. King Doctor the Resourceful, give him a paperclip. He's like MacGyver. And it's, you know, gloriously taken on a, a life of its own on the forum. So I, I always kind of felt proud of the fact that Datu is King Doctor the Resourceful to so many people. Damn. I post on the Facebook page for for We're Not Dead. What the fuck, Casey? What the fuck was that, dude? Come on, that's not cool. Yeah, <sighs> it was arguably one of the best cliffhangers he's probably ever done. Oh, truthfully, just yes. with the way Datu is such a lovable character. I mean, uh, really, I don't know how anyone could possibly hate Datu. I mean, I'm not. Personally, I'm not, like, overly invested in his storyline so much. Mm. But it's like, how can you not just like the guy, basically? And, it, it, yeah, and it, I mean, it's the same story with Glenn, which, uh, you know, and just the fact that it's Datu overshadows the fact that Glenn is for sure, for sure, gone. Oh, yeah, Glenn, Glenn and Jay are toast. Yeah. They're, they're definitely gone. Uh you know, you hear Datu react to Glenn getting chomped. Uh, Jay, you hear screaming and getting off his final shots. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, the best I can figure, because again, we are we are obviously dealing with radio drama. We don't get the benefit of sight. Um, I hear from the point that Datu starts his initial begging, you hear an impact like he's been hit punched or kicked or something yeah but again uh, it do we know if it's him no we don't yeah um i think it's him because i think i hear him scream at the impact mm-hmm. that does not necessarily mean that this little one which is what i'm assuming it is because it has the sounds of a little one yeah um did not throw a dead body at him yeah or like at his feet yeah that is also a possibility and that would also cause a scream but for basically this is the sequence that i hear and I've listened to this a bunch of times. Um, the impact. What sounds like a grab and a drag. Like someone has been grabbed and is being dragged forcibly somewhere they don't want to go. Yeah. What sounds like a very fleshy wound yeah. being given. Dot to screaming. Oh. Then I hear the little one beat feet and run away. Mm-hmm. Dot to crying. Those three mechanical, uh, three beeps. I hear a mechanical whirring of some kind, more beeps, and more crying. Very, very faint. Um, and that's what I hear. That's what I think most people hear, unless I uh, basically missed some over speculation on what may have occurred. But, you know, that's what I get out of it. And from that, one, it's very hard to say that Datu survived but it's also not implausible to say that he did 
at this moment. Yeah. Uh, well, <sighs> it's hard. Yeah, uh, I'm assuming you saw the post Casey made in the uh, chapter thread or on Twitter. Actually, um, quite possibly. I have seen a lot of posts today. Uh, well, uh, I'm trying to think of when this was. Um, and um, I will search for it if you want to riff. Okay. Um, he basically stated Datu's condition at the end of the scene. That I did not see because I would have. Uh, uh, okay. Well, no. And I don't know why I missed that. I I, I, I can only assume, but um, basically everyone was during the whole part of the chapter discussion, probably on Twitter and Facebook and yada yada yada. Uh, everyone was speculating like mad as far as Datu's condition, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, He did come out and say at the end of the scene, uh, Datu is alive at that moment. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that that part I knew. Well, yeah, but we can't, basically we can't necessarily assume that he's a goner or that anything happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, yeah, yeah. Right now he's laying on the ground. I'm trying to think of what brought that whole conversation up. Oh, yeah. Randy insertion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anywho. Um, the only thing that I say bodes well, bodes very, very well for Datu, is that so far he has been heard narrating in season four. Mm-hmm. And in order for him to have gotten that to anyone, he would have to still be alive. Yeah. Um, that is not to say that his journals did not get picked up by Pegs and then given to Kelly to translate so that we have that information. Um, that's if, if you are a big fan of Datu and you want him to survive, that is the thing that I think that you have to hold on to right now the best is that he's been heard narrating, although he did not, he has not been heard narrating recently. Yeah, and that's... It's, it's been at least a week, I think, in terms of time passage. Yeah, and that's the thing, is we could come back during the first five minutes of chapter 41, and he's, I am writing this after I've been bitten, because mm-hmm, he true. constantly carries around his little notebook. Yeah. Uh, sorry, we could immediately come back to that, and that explains why we know what we know during them being out there. This is true. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, otherwise, how do you know exactly what happened? Unless you, again, you go to your unreliable narrator who pieces it together. Yeah. Oh, he must have done X, Y, and Z. He must have got this right. Uh, these solar panels were positioned this way because Datu's a uh, control freak like that. Mm-hmm. And then he and uh, everyone else were, were attacked. And this is what the result was. And this is what we think has happened. This is the artist's rendition of the attack on. Yeah, and which that. that would be so much simpler if he just survives, basically. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I mean, so I'm not, I'm not concerned for Datu's condition. Um, personally, I think him turning would be better for the story in some regards. Mm. But I don't want to see that happen, you know. So, so I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it's smarter you are in life, smarter you are in death. Um, <laughs> Datu being a zombie would be not as bad as Ink turning into a zombie, but. Uh, you know, he could be right up on the level of a Randy. True. They, they seem True. to have the same sort of resourcefulness. Yeah, so. and I mean, just my opinion is we're in season four, so we have to have some type of loss amongst the core characters, you know? Yep. 
And that's the only, like, like I say, I want him to have survived this. I have the narration in my back pocket. Oh, he did this. Um, Characters that are the most useful to you are the ones that go first. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tommy went first because Tommy set up the security system in the, in the tower. You know, you can have a debate all, all day long about his actual usefulness. Um, but you know, he was very useful to them. Um, you know, uh, Sean was useful to, you know, like hope and everyone in the, uh, you know, angel. Okay. Yeah. I rag on angel a lot. Angel is very useful. Not in the same way that Datu is useful because Datu provides tools to your heroes. Um, you know, eventually, yeah. Those people have to go away, and you have to do it on your own, or you have to fail. Yeah. Um, Angel was good counsel to Michael's decisions. Mm-hmm. I, that's the way I would say. So, you know, I, um, I think I've mentioned before that uh, Datu would be a character that doesn't survive the whole story. Yeah. Uh, if this is where he goes, then you know what? He went out. As much like a boss as he could. It sounds like his Mata gun took a couple nice decent shots at whatever was attacking them. And sounded like it impacted. Just didn't do what it needed to do. Which was kill it. Yeah. Now, it could go another angle though. Entirely. Okay. Um, let's say he does survive this. Mm-hmm. Uh, why Why could he not view his Mata gun as not necessarily a failure. But see where he needs to improve upon it. True, and then when he approves upon it, mass uh, mass produce them basically, mm-hmm. and so there it's a, you know, his attack and Glenn's death is beneficial, perhaps not to their, yeah, to their immediate future, but to their, you know, right, yeah, not for what they were trying to do, but what they can now learn from it and do in the future. Exactly. Yeah, um, that's also a very good point. Is Maybe that is what it takes to improve the Monogun. Um By the way, um, uh, speaking of Monogun, totally wrong about the uh, the uh, rebar that we mentioned, uh, you know, about a month ago. Uh, okay, so ball bearings, yeah, that's a little more practical, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Well, <laughs> I'm gonna shoot a five pound bar of rebar. It, that's practical. It's pretty practical with the ball bearings, but at the same yes. time, rebar is also practical because they can find it most anywhere. Yeah, knock down a concrete wall, there's probably rebar in there. Yeah, that's that's uh, honestly easier to find than ball bearings will be. Yeah. Um, I don't even know why. I, I don't even know why I didn't even think, oh yeah, ball bearings. You know? Yeah. It's, it's like a musket ball, of course. Those <laughs> technically worked yeah. for a very long time. Yeah, I nah, dude, shoot a stake through someone's heart. And I don't remember who posted it, but they basically built. They, it's a YouTube video of what is essentially, I would say, the monogun. Yeah. Where it's basically a two-liter bottle and uh, like the little airsoft BBs. Yeah. Inside the two-liter bottle, and they're just putting compressed air in there, and they have like a piece of metal tubing running through the cab mm-hmm. and basically as soon as you hit the air it's just like straight machine gun so yeah and that was always sort of my understanding of it just sort of like on a bigger scale so you know when i'm thinking of it i'm thinking of not like a scuba tank but for some reason i don't know why i think of like a propane tank 
but I yeah. think of like a propane tank strapped to someone's back with like a four foot long muzzle with like a handle on top mm-hmm. with a tube going back to it. Mm-hmm. So it sort of looks like basically I think of uh, a weaponized um, leaf blower. Yeah, or a potato gun using air instead of yes. uh, hairspray, which you can also find that on YouTube, and it's freaking amazing. You can find so many things on YouTube. Yeah. Except happy users, because apparently Google Plus makes everything worse on it or whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I vaguely understood what happened there. Um, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, so, we've been going for over an hour now. Um, yeah. <laughs> because, again, it's amazing what happens when you don't record a podcast. Um, so... Where, oh, where did this go? My iPad hates life right now. I'm trying to go read people's emails, but apparently I can't because my iPad doesn't want to load that inbox, and my phone isn't here, so I can't go read it. Um, so, yeah, that's, I think, unless there's anything else that we may have missed that you want to talk about uh, over the course of Chapter 40. Well, I mean, there's a lot of things we could bring up. Um, we can certainly bring up if you like. Yeah, well, I mean, hell, I hope they're having fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Smoke if we got them. We got more to go. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, well, okay, because how often do you and I speak? Not really. Not, not very often because now that I have a, a, a job, <laughs> I'm not on the same time as the forum as you are. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what do you make of the crow calls thing? The crow call thing. If you are unfamiliar with crow calls, Grognard started um, a gigantic, which started as conspiracy theory until it's been proven kind of right. Yeah. Um, listen into the background of the story when it's being presented to you. And whenever certain bad things are about to happen or bad people are brought up, you're going to hear a crow call. And it seems to be without fail that you're going to hear a crow call. The best example of even just mentioning someone is back in the chapter. Oh God, I don't remember which one it is anymore. Maybe 37, two or three, mm-hmm. uh, wherever it was that Riley and Bert, uh, have their conversation about uh, running away, uh, by angel's grave. Yeah. And the introduction into that is crow calls. Yep. And we're talking and thinking about scratch. Yep. Um, so, and that's uh, where the whole, that's basically where that whole idea originated, mm-hmm. I think, with him. I mean, it's... Yep, that's it's definitely been, where it started. Yeah, it's been brought up here and there, randomly. I think it was on one of the uh, live uh, We're Not Dead feeds, where one of the callers brought it up. But, uh, yeah, that's one of the original places it came up was the idea of a connection to Scratch. Um, mm-hmm. Another one that's been brought up by uh, Grognard uh is it could be it kind of resembles inkling chatter um which i i don't necessarily know but it's just really interesting that pretty much anytime anything poignant within the story happens mm-hmm. uh you get a crow call kind of like a exclamation point on whatever was stated or like a hey pay attention right before someone <laughs> says something you yes. know and uh we've tried to go through and make all the connections and pull lines and stuff like that but it's just uh, it's tricky yeah um 
you know, you obviously you can find uh, Blackbird Crow, uh, Raven, so many references in uh, literature and movies and uh, TV and, you know, songs and whatever you want. Um, it's still a powerful symbol uh, today as it was back when Poe wrote um, The Raven. Uh, it's it has a lot of uh symbolism i don't and and we know the level of detail that casey goes into everything that goes into the podcast so yeah first of all you know props to everyone that has uh one discovered this theory specifically grognard for bringing it up and everyone that has gone back and hunted for crow calls um because you're doing a lot of hard work to find stuff that, you know, maybe technically there's nothing there. I don't happen to agree with that. I think that it is being used in the way that everyone thinks it's being used. Um, it's to point out something's going on. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Uh, looking at my notes. Okay. One I mentioned earlier, uh, Kelly as a probate lawyer, um, probate lawyers being Will's, uh, Estates, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, an idea brought up by Redshirt was the idea of Kelly possibly having some involvement with the families. Uh, what would you make of something like that? Um, I think at this point, that probably would have come to the forefront. Um, yeah, possibly, maybe. Yeah, I think that she is too. I. I always thought that Kelly was too convenient to be a villain in the story. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't... Because she was designed to be that way from the beginning, by the sound of it, was, oh, she's such a bitch to her to her nephew, she's such a hard ass, and treats Michael so poorly, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know what? She's maybe... I mean, she's not, a, she's not a parent. Yeah. She was trying the best she could with some kid that's not hers. Yeah. Yeah. And she just did it very poorly. Yeah, I just find it interesting that she was in that field, not necessarily, you know, defense or prosecution or anything like that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there, there are so many different ways that you can be a lawyer in this world. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I don't necessarily know what to make of her being a, a probate lawyer. Versus anything else. I mean, it's not only, uh, I mean, yes, primarily it's estate deals and people that died in wills and things like that. But, you know, they can do other things. Uh, I just don't know what all falls under probate. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really sure. Uh, I don't know that she would have necessarily been on. Uh, a retainer or whatever for like yeah, the families. Yeah, I think that was the direction uh, Redshirt was going with that idea was, you know, <laughs> her being on uh, the Derive retainer or something along those yeah. lines. Uh, yeah, I thought it was an interesting angle. One that probably th- not too think, many people would think of. I think it would be an interesting angle. I just, uh, at this point, I don't know what benefit there would be for the story. Because, yeah. you know, if, if if it was specifically for Dry, well, Dry's dead. Who cares about yeah, him? Yeah, yeah. He's got no, yeah. I, no I kinda, say. I feel like that angle of the story is pretty much out of it at this point. Yeah. I think the family may be, aside from 
scratches irrational or my opinion irrational there are some people that can rationalize it um opinion that uh she has to fulfill the family's need for revenge for killing another family member or you know whatever the only other thing that we noticed in the uh little theory team group is um the whole paranoid schizophrenic versus not paranoid schizophrenic angle in regards to uh, Bill Roberts. Um, Just in terms of whether he was faking it because he was smart enough to fake it or because I'm I'm not going to lie to you. In uh, these few weeks that uh, we have not been recording this podcast, uh, I sort of hinted at it at the beginning. There's been a lot of stuff going on. I have been very, very absent from the forum. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that I've missed, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Basically, his diagnosis was paranoid schizophrenic, which is mm-hmm. basically uh, delusions of grandeur, I guess, right. would be the ba- best way of putting it. Uh, establishing elaborate cons- conspiracies and hallucinations in your head. Uh, but then when later on, I believe it was chapter 43, they brought up, hey, it doesn't really seem like the type. Like he never has showed any signs before. Mm-hmm. And so that makes one wonder, did he know something was going on beforehand and what he told them was the cause of his diagnosis? Like, basically, he had this thing set up in his head so wonderfully that he couldn't be anything but batshit crazy. Right. You know, and I don't know. That's one of those things that we don't know, but it sure as hell is fun to speculate about. That one I could... By yeah, much easier than some of the other theories I see float around. Simply because, um, you know, reality is in the eye of the majority, kind of sort of a thing, uh, and that's why sophistry worked so well back in the day. Is that oh, if the sophists say that the sky is purple, and you get enough people to say that the sky is purple, well, the color that we all understand to be blue, well, it's purple now. Um, just because you can get people to believe anything if you do it right. Um, if Bill was talking to an audience of people that just didn't believe him, then yeah, absolutely. That could be a reason why you have this diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenic. Although, um, the more, the, the further away that we get from like the 80s and 90s when everybody was a paranoid schizophrenic <laughs> and the, the, like the the psych, the psychiatric community was like, no, that's not what that means. You yeah. don't understand. Let's have a conversation. Um, so it sort of feels like paranoid schizophrenic is a cop out almost to the point that he is designing it. Oh, yeah, I'm paranoid schizophrenic. And then somehow was able to convince everyone that he was. Yeah. Because uh, he is smart enough. He would probably know the... Um, a way to pull it off, but you know that would require you also be a very good actor too. Yeah. To, to yeah. um, and I don't to jump around the hoops. Yeah, I don't see that being the case. I could see, I could easily see him learning something, and in particular, learning something about his wife and the man and the family. Mm-hmm. You know that he ended up killing, and then when the cops caught him and he tells them what he learned, uh, yeah. Boom! There you go. Yeah, or like, oh, my my wife and this guy are the are doing this horrible thing with these chemicals, and they're going to turn everyone into a zombie. I had to kill him. Yeah, sure, chief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly the way I could see that playing out. 
you know, and there that could introduce your Austin McKibben character as part of the doomsday cult, whatever that the uh, dude wife was cheating on with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, you could string this shit together so many different ways that it's just oh, indeed you could. It's ridiculous. <laughs> That's what we do here. We enjoy the ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. So cool. Um, I think that sort of covers everything, to the best of my knowledge, at least. Um, cool. Is, again, <laughs> anything else that you wanted to bring up? No, no. I believe that's that's all the major points. And, yeah, it's been a lot. So Yes, it's a lot to digest. And... <sighs> poor Datu. Um, <laughs> we'll know soon. We will know soon. By the time that you hear this, it should hopefully... Fingers crossed, fingers crossed, be Friday the 13th, so you should only be two days away from getting another episode of We're Alive. Oh, um, it will be Friday the 13th, won't it? it yep, that Friday is, the 13th. That is awesome. I love those days. Yeah. Because um, if nothing else, you're bound to find a Friday the 13th marathon somewhere on TV, most likely AMC. Yeah. Because, um, <laughs> you know, when I think of American movie classics, I think of Friday the 13th. Yeah. Um, I think of my father. Oh, really? He was born on a Friday the 13th. Oh. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, kind of weird. But, yeah. Cool. Um, well, great. So, let's run down all the places that you can interact with us, and then we will talk uh, briefly about uh, the Radon Labs commercial contest. Uh, again, you can find us at www.zombiepodcast.com slash forum. Uh, on the Twitterverse, you can find me at N-I-K-V-O-O-D-O-O. You can find Brit at uh, Blonde Nerd. You can find Bees at Beesball. And uh, the podcast is WND Podcast. We're Live is at We're Live. Facebook, you can find both, both us and We're Live. And email is we're not dead podcast at gmail.com, which is where you can submit your entries for the Radon Labs commercial contest. Again, 30 seconds in length. Uh, if you are doing a uh, audio uh, piece for us, if you are giving us a script, uh, it will have to be by our performance. So <laughs> be kind because we're going to, Britt and I will be performing them. Um, Todd is dead. If people wanted to get a hold of you, aside from finding you on the forum as Todd is dead with a seven instead of a T, um, where would they find you? Absolutely nowhere. Very good. We'll find you on the forum then, and uh, <laughs> late, late at night talking about your crackpot theories. Yeah, yeah, sure. Cool, man. Um, so I think that about does it. Hopefully, we can get uh, our, our scheduling conflicts all all squared away and done and uh, get you a podcast next week. Um, thank you for your patience. We do appreciate it. Um, and we appreciate you listening. And again, we, we do try our best. Being bi-coastal between Britain and myself makes it very difficult to coordinate this. Um, but that's that. Uh, Todd is dead. Thank you very much for coming on to the show. I know it's uh, also very unbelievably difficult to schedule you because of your uh, work schedule. I'm glad we could get you on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I knew I was on vacation. Had to do it. Definitely had to do it. Um, So, that's that. Uh, This is almost an hour and a half long podcast, so I hope you enjoyed it. Um, And hopefully we talk to you next week. So, for Todd is Dead, for Bees, for Brit, uh, I am Nick Voodoo. And peace out. (laughs)